This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. An annual celebration of Dance on Film is returning to Los Angeles for its 20th anniversary. Dance Camera West will run March 24th to April 2nd. David Rusev and Lionel Popkin are professors of choreography in the UCLA Department of World Arts and Culture's Dance and are board members of Dance Camera West and have shown their films in the festival. You'll hear from them in a bit about the evolution of dance on film, music videos, TikTok, and more. Kelly Hargraves is executive and artistic director of Dance Camera West. Dance Camera West was one of the first American film festivals of screen dance or dance film or video dance. It's got different names in different regions. It's an annual event that chooses films through a submission process. This year we had about 400 submissions and we try to show as many as we can because we're really interested in a diversity of views of what dance film is. So this year we're showing 75, which is a little crazy, but that's because last year we really only got to show about 20 because of COVID shutdown. So we're trying to ramp it back up. This year's festival brings experimental shorts, feature films, documentaries, and more to two screens in LA at Theater Raymond Cabaz and the newly founded 2220 Arts and Archives, what was formerly the Bootleg Theater. Hargraves says this year saw a record number of submissions. Oh my gosh, everyone and their mother's making a dance film now. And because, you know, theaters were shut down and artists were at home and they had a phone. We had 400 submissions, which is at least 100 more than usual. Lionel Popkin says that doesn't surprise him. You know, the pandemic, for better or for worse... A lot of people became makers of dance for camera. We certainly saw it like at UCLA in our classes. Suddenly everything was a dance for camera, whether people wanted it to be or not, because we were all um, in quarantine and on Zoom. And so it's not a surprise to me that there was a record number this year because so many people who had perhaps maybe avoided the medium or just didn't find a proclivity for it were suddenly thrust into it. David Rousseff says he's seen that shift toward dance on film in his classes as well. I feel like the process that happened for us at UCLA in our department within the dance program, which is obviously primarily performance-based, but uh, we had literally live performance. So we already had an active interest from the uh, graduate and undergraduate students in creating a dance film as a piece that is made specifically for film or translated over to film, but specifically for that medium. So we already uh, taught uh, a dance for camera course every quarter. So there was a through line, uh, but it was a relatively small one. And then when live performance became impossible, Uh, literally uh, film and video became the only way to share work with the broader public. Uh, Just on a nuts and bolts level, it also became the only way that the MFAs could complete their degree was creating the MFA culminates in uh, a choreographic project that I've been there since 96. I think I did have two really stunning dance for camera makers who culminated their MFA in an evening of dance films. But that was rare since 96. I can literally think of two. But the past couple of years, if you wanted to complete the MFA, you had to do something for video. And so I think being forced into the the realm of the form of dance for camera, 
was a really interesting transition, and some people really found it to be a, a, a perfect fit. And I think beyond the pandemic, people are also asking, what is the future of choreography and live performance? Uh, does it transition to, in part, to film and video-based work, uh, not only in a time of pandemic where live performance is literally impossible, but as a choice around accessibility and form and function of the arts uh, and their interaction with technology as we move forward. Yeah, I'm curious to hear how you two think of choreography differently when you're planning it for the stage versus for film. Because with the stage, you have a level of spontaneity and, you know, there's an energy there that it's harder to capture on film, but the audience has a fixed perspective, you know, and they can only see what's in front of them and they see the entire stage as just one view. But with film, you can change the perspective, you can zoom in or close up, you can put it in different settings. So it just seems like the film opens up a lot of possibilities, but it's, it's a different format. Is there one that you prefer or is it just like two completely different things? For me, uh, when, when I consider myself a filmmaker, but I make uh, dance films as part of my research. And the first film that I made was in 1992 for a PBS series called The Live from Off Center and then a live TV. Uh, and it was based in commissioning films from an experimental choreographer and matched up with a filmmaker. And the reason that I wanted to first branch out into film was for the very reasons that you said. My work for the stage was sometimes frustrating in the sense that I wanted to create very intimate gestural work um, and then really loud movement, more in your face. And so on the theater stage, I was constantly trying to move from close up to wide shot uh, so that if we played like a really large theater, uh, the wide shot, the kind of large kinetic terrain would read really well from a distance, but then we would go into really minuscule, gestural, dramatic movement that it was hard to read in a large theater. That, And likewise, in a black box, the intimate works uh, read really well, but you didn't have the distance um, and the capability of creating a sudden wide shot to read the kind of large-scale uh, terrain where the combination of interdisciplinary elements is very important to take in all at once. Um, and also my work was jumping time and place and era. The first piece that I did for film jumped between my world in 1992, East Village, New York, and my grandmother's world in the bayous of Louisiana in the early 1900s. And I really wanted to experiment with film and the ability to jump uh, time and place and narrative freely while also trying to integrate some of the technical components of film, uh, wide shot, close up, jump cut, uh, crossfade. Um, all of those things were things that I was playing with in live theater. And I felt like film as a medium would be a really great way to experiment uh, with them in another way. I do have to say though, that I uh, don't see myself ever replacing the immediacy of a live body in front of you, which is the thing that you do not have on film. And it's also very difficult for me personally to make uh, kinetic movement as exciting on film as it is live. Yeah, I mean, I would say for me, they're very different. So it depends on the idea. And, it de and for me, a lot of the dance for camera that I've made 
has come out of an outgrowth of a live performance and some idea that was crucial to the event and to the thing that I was making that I didn't feel like I could get across in the live moment, but I could get across in a kind of way that was reproduced on film. And in some ways, those allow, in a, you, you talked about the spontaneity of the live moment. I actually find that because for me, it's always been on video as opposed to like old film, that there's actually more spontaneity shooting film because the moment of shooting, like, Video's cheap. <laughs> Film was expensive, but video is cheap. So my stuff was always shot on video. So I could we could try a hundred different things. And it was actually, there was a playfulness because you weren't worried about the transitions because you knew that was the art of the edit, right? Not the art of the craft in, in that moment, but the art of the edit. And that kind of being able to look back on what you've done and, and create the transitions and create the, the craft of the piece after, you've experienced it kinetically is also really different as a process because many of the transitions for the live stage are about the kinetic experience in the moment that both the audience and you are ha having. And at the edit bay, it's a really different structure. At least for me, it is. And the other thing I'll, I'll say about it is a lot of my recent work has moved into the more durational aspect. So less dance for camera and more installation video stuff, which is also an outgrowth of what it means to shoot in, you know, into two dimensions. And that creates a really different relationship for the audience because with most dance for camera, with most live theater, the audience sits down and watches something. Now that there are instances where that's not true at all, but in the more durational gallery event-based way of watching something, people come and go and it's a really different experience with the audience. Um, so I, for me, part of my interest in camera and shooting and um, playback type thing is not, is partially the craft of making it, but also change in the, the um, relationship to the audience. For people who don't go out and see a lot of dance on film, I think that most of our exposure to dance on film is through music videos, right? And there are choreographers who've kind of made a name through working with musicians. I think of, you know, Ryan Huffington working with Sia or uh, Kyle Abraham, you know, renowned in his own right, but he has worked with musicians, including Sofiane Stevens recently, or uh, Jaquel Knight working with Beyonce and Megan Thee Stallion. What do you make of uh, Dance for Music videos? And is that um, a good way for choreographers to get their work out there and to, you know, to build a wider audience? <laughs> I mean, it absolutely is, you know? I, I mean, it's also interesting to see how different choreographers deal with it. Like, this is a small anecdote, but I watched Tick, Tick, Boom the other night, and I immediately recognized Ryan Huffington's choreography. Like, he just has a voice, right? And I watched um, American Utopia recently, and that immediately looks like Annie B. Parsons' voice, and I think of her work with St. Vincent and other people. And I think that, you know, that what's interesting to me is seeing how particular artists kind of develop their own way of working and then which music artists attach themselves to that or feel that that speaks to them and their music and then watching that expand. I mean, I think there's a lot of options for, for people 
that are making that. And I think that's, it's also, it's a short form, right? Tends to be music videos. It's a pretty short form. Um, I mean, the two examples I gave are kind of long form films, but it changes the contract with the audience too. Like how, what is your attention span? How are you trying to deal with what movement is doing is also really different. So I think it's, if artists are working and making <laughs> making things, that's all good. Yeah, and I would agree with that, actually. Um, and uh, the same way, like, with literature, that, you know, I like a good uh, biography or a good detective novel, but I read those for very different reasons than I read, like, Toni Morrison, or, and not that one is better than the other, it's just that they have different purposes. And so if I uh, take... Uh, music videos on the terms that it wants to be taken on, I absolutely uh, think there's so much great work being done. It's being done for a different purpose sometimes, uh, but you can feed the commercial beast and also do something um, artistically at the same time. I think that list that you gave is fantastic. Uh, I was I haven't had a chance to watch the documentary uh, about my girl Janet Jackson, but I went back because I'm planning to watch it and looked at some of her videos, and that uh, video, Got Till It's Gone, shot in just post-apartheid South Africa, is stunning. It's so beautiful. That's one of the best dance cameras ever to me. Or you can rewind it to the beginning. Uh, Rhythm Nation was, you know, take it on its own terms. She transformed the face of video, and the dancing was phenomenal. Um, so I might show experimental in one of my classes at UCLA around the beginning comp class around languages, I definitely show mostly postmodern and contemporary experimental dance. But we also look at those videos, Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Uh, we look at voguing. Uh, we look at commercial films. My world was rocked completely. It was when I realized I might want to figure out this this crazy thing called experimental dance, when I saw, as a senior at Princeton, I saw the Milos Forman uh, film Hair with this mind-blowing choreography by Twyla Tharp. So all that to say, that was, I watched Hair last year because I wanted to see the choreography. I thought it was phenomenal. And Shelley Washington, who's one of the dancers, I'd never seen anything like that. It was a black, it was an African-American woman. Uh, so for me, there's room for all of it. And I've had my mind blown by uh, 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 dance videos. And I'm a huge Beyonce fan, <laughs> as well as the work that we'll be showing at Dance Camera West. I mean, I even think back further to like the Soul Train era. Ooh, you know? yeah. And these were like high school kids dancing on TV. And then their you know, dances that they made up were then copied by teenagers all over the country all over the world. And that was a way that dance kind of spread virally was through television. And yeah. And, and the way that was captured, you know, everyone was lined up on either side and the couples would get, have a few seconds to, you know, do something fun. The um, highlight. <laughs> I mean, now I think a lot of young people also encounter dance through TikTok and through social media. Um, and these are a very different type of format. These are short form. Uh, they tend to be vertically shot like portrait shots so you have basically the human body like fills most of the screen and it's a very different style and and they're dances that are made to be learned and copied you know and um do you think that that's changing how young people choreograph and is it changing how people dance i would say yes and no i mean you just brought up the soul train line and a viral dance 
craze. TikTok isn't the first viral dance craze, right? At the same time, I think, you know, shift of an aspect ratio did the 3-4 of TV from to 16-9 shift when you suddenly now switch from landscape to portrait. I mean, all of these things, they do change how we see what the field of relationality is and like how we foreground a body to its environment and how we see that. Like, absolutely. I think it these things do change and shift. And at the same time, there's a kind of steadiness of people trying to figure out how their body exists in the world that does carry through. I mean, I think, um, you know, time span is different. And, you know, the dance world has seen, you know, it used to be that everyone made these 10, 15 minute dances, then concerts were all three 30 minute dances with intermissions between them. Right. And then it was only evening length works that were happening. And that started around late 80s, right? And now people are going back to more short form dances. I think things go in cycles and shift around in terms of how things work. And I think that part of that is perhaps the technologies that were available when people were younger. Part of that is expectations of audience. I think all those things are in conversation with each other. So yes, it's changing things in a way because of the accessibility of it, right? So many more people can do it and so much faster. But I also think that it's still making stuff about (laughs) making work, you know, it's still people trying to figure out how their bodies move within this frame. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, And I would also say that um, the length issue, I used to feel a tension around that in comp class from some students, meaning it felt like I've noticed a transition in my students. This is where this is going. But I remember maybe even a couple of years ago, I felt like they were um, very excited about TikTok and, uh, you know, the 15 to 20 second dance. One person even said to me, yeah, well, you know, we learned how to pay attention looking at TikTok. Uh, so that's what that's how, that becomes not only our attention span potentially, but also our sense of how do you craft a piece with a beginning, middle and end. That doesn't really happen on TikTok. Uh, but like Lionel is saying, I also... Um, we'll sit there flipping through TikTok dance videos sometimes going, ooh, that's amazing, ooh. Uh, So it's all about balance. But I will say that I noticed this year in particular, the past couple years, that my students are really appreciating depth. One of them actually said uh, earlier this quarter, you know, I'm glad that we're spending more time on these studies, um, meaning a five-minute study versus a a 30-second TikTok dance. Because I'd like to think that we're trying to do something with a little more depth than what's out there um, on TikTok. And I thought, wow, he didn't say it in a judgmental way. He just said, I want to try to do something that's digging a little bit deeper thematically. Um, Because some of those TikTok dances do dig pretty deep kinetically. They're doing some uh, really original stuff. No complaints there. Um, But I noticed that it might be due to the pandemic. I don't know. That my students now are craving the ability to say something um, deeper is such a judgmental word, but to express themselves more resonantly through dance than you maybe can do on uh, TikTok. Yeah. And, you know, I'll also just say that what different lengths afford you in terms of what kinds of stories you can tell and how you can tell them is really evident in the dance for camera world. I mean, you know, you have evenings of shorts and everyone who's coming to an evening of shorts knows what that evening is. And then you have the full length or you have the big documentaries or you have like you have these different formats and 
there's an understanding also for as makers and as participants, spectators, viewers, whatever the word is for that, that different lengths allow for a different sense of what, what you can do. And I think that's important because we want different ideas out there. Yeah, different lengths and also like different types of stories that are being told. Like are, some are just straightforward dance like videos and some are documentary style you know, movies about dancers or, you know, about dance. So you've got that variety. One of the um, pieces that looks pretty interesting in uh, this upcoming festival is called Undanced Dances Through Prison Walls During a Pandemic, directed by Suchi Bronfman and Tom Tsai. I'm really excited to see that piece in particular, and I'm familiar with uh, Suchi's work. They have a long body of work dealing with the penal system through live choreography, uh, hands-on uh, engagement within the penal system. And I really look forward to seeing, uh, because thematically it's such an important um, area. I mean, there's an, just an incredible relationship between the words and the voices coming from those who she worked with who are incarcerated and how those are manifesting and the kind of reciprocity that's happening between the people who initiated the project and were working on the project who weren't in the prisons and the people who were speaking from behind the bars. So it, there was an integrity to the process that I think was really important to the work. And I'm also very glad that um, because it's a local choreographer, that there's a way to kind of bring that project together under one roof un under the auspices of Dance Camera West. Yeah, this is um, this piece, Undanced Dances Through Prison Walls During a Pandemic, features six dances written inside Norco prison during the COVID lockdown by 12 formerly incarcerated and free world dance artists conversing on dance and choreography in carceral spaces. So drawing attention to, like you said, a really important issue. Are there other pieces that are going to be part of the festival that you're looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I'm uh, going along with uh, the films by Sushi. I really appreciate it, And I feel like it's a reflection of the aesthetic of our festival and of Los Angeles. I feel like the range of films in the festival is very broad and wide, and that there is a lack of diversity within the entire field, in particular around BIPOC filmmakers. And I feel like uh, uh, Dance Camera West is trying to address that um, um, as best we can, uh, so that uh, there are uh, for example, six uh, short films that are going to be have their world premiere in the festival, primarily, if not exclusively, by BIPOC filmmakers. Uh, we received a, a small grant to uh, mentor uh, young, uh, in particular, BIPOC filmmakers. And so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the diversity of the films and also the films that were commissioned by Dance Camera West uh, from a really wide-ranging uh, pool of choreographers and filmmakers. Some of these films that are being commissioned were submitted, I believe, last year, and then were given finishing funds and, and mentorship to take the films farther um, along their pathway. And the idea of mentoring younger filmmakers from you know, traditionally underrepresented um, populations, because filmmaking can't, I mean, I know I joked earlier that said video is cheap. It's just cheap in comparison to film. Like gathering everyone together, getting the lighting correct, getting, uh, you know, color correction. Like the garnering of resources to make a film is not simple. And to have 
Dance Camera West not just have people submit their films and say, you know, do you accept it or not? But actually take some of the people who have submitted and say, you could use some more work. Let, let's give you some resources, both financial and, and artistic mentorship to bring those projects further along. I'm really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing those um, because I feel like it's a real intervention into the field for the better. The festival opens on Thursday, March 24th, with the premiere of the documentary Inc. and Linda. It chronicles the friendship and artistic collaboration between an LA street artist in his 20s, Ink Sap, and a dancer and choreographer in her 70s, Linda Lack. The closing night of the festival includes six films that Dance Camera West helped produce with filmmakers from underrepresented backgrounds. A grant from the National Endowment for the Arts helped to support the fund. Back to Kelly Hargraves. The whole point of this year and everything we do is widening the lens, widening the gaze. That's why my selection committee has 40 younger, hipper, more diverse people on it. The art form comes out of sort of a feminist white woman purview because it sort of um, was the films that women were quote unquote allowed to make. Going right back to like Maya Darren, who was one of the most important experimental filmmakers. We're in Los Angeles, you know, and because of my red, my work at Red Cat, I've always been keenly aware of how we need to diversify what happens in this city and its institutions. And I feel like this year we may have done it. I'm never sure till the end of the festival, you know, after I've seen everything on the screen and everybody in the audience. And then I'm like, okay, there's more work to do. <laughs> Dance Camera West takes place March 24th to April 2nd. You can find more information at arts.ucla.edu. I'm Avishai Artsy. Works in Progress is a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. Thanks for listening and take care.